And hello, movie lovers. And today I actually have a very good friend of mine is Josh, a Merc with the Movie Block. He's back again. We're going to be doing our fourth Scream movie review, and this is for Scream 4, of course. And so with that being said, let's go ahead. Let's get on with the review. I'm excited to have him here. I'm excited about talking about Scream 4, and let's do it. Hey, Josh. Hey, man. How's it going? It's going good, man. How about you? Doing pretty good. I'm excited to talk about this. So. Me too. It's like ripping off the Band-Aid for me, but I know you had a different <laughs> viewing experience than I did. But it's true. still. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just want to go into this real quick. So this movie actually had a budget of $40 million. In the box office, had $97.2 million, which makes it the lowest out of the screen film franchise for this movie, which is actually not surprising since most people didn't really care for this film. It had really negative buzz around it. But I mean, it, it was a decade out after the third movie, which a lot of people didn't really care for either. And I feel like it, at that point, it had kind of lost some of that shine that the franchise had. And I, so I feel like people just didn't care. Yeah, some people probably thought that the that it was kind of steel in a sense. It was like, why do we need another screen movie? I'm kind of like screamed out at that point where yeah. it becomes just basically just recycling. But after let's go on this play though, then all of a sudden in 2022, everybody's like, Oh, I want more scream. So yeah. it goes to show you, if you go ahead let things rest a little bit, people would actually want to see another screen movie or another thing inside the franchise. Yeah, so, Absolutely. But anyways, this actually opens up. It opens up in 2011 on the 15th anniversary week of the original Woodsboro murders. High school student Jenny Randall and Maureen Cooper are murdered by Ghostface. So the opening scenes are always always one of my favorites and most iconic things within the screen movies itself because it always opens up to stab and it's always like this foreshadowing into the things that are going to be happening and things that we're going to be introduced to in the screen world. Yeah. So that's something that I really always liked. But this one goes on the heavy hand of being meta inside of meta. So, I mean, the whole movie yeah. does that, though. Right. They, they lean into the meta within meta throughout the entire movie. So I think it fits in that sense. That's very true. <laughs> it definitely fits, and it actually knows what it's doing. So I can't fault it for that. Yeah. But whenever they're over there watching these movies, it's like us as the audiences who's actually pulled into this watching – all these green movies and then you're going to mixed up with which one's what. And they even talked about that. And, you know, it, like I said, it's meta inside of meta with the stab movies. It doesn't work with the girl stabbing her friend for talking too much, which, uh, which is also like us in the theaters, yeah. you know, who would actually kill someone, not literally kill someone, but basically just telling mm -hmm. someone to shut up and they're not. And you just really, it just aggravates you to the point where you want to actually yeah. do something about it. I, I like I like that sequence because, like, th this is supposed to be Stab Seven. Like, so they've done a ton of these movies, you know, in in this span of time. And when you get that far into a franchise, you tend to like you, you're pulling out whatever you can, you know. And so it it worked for me because it felt like this isn't something that we've ever seen in a Scream movie. You know, it's not something that we would ever see in a screen movie like that, you know, especially not in the opening where they they give give away the killer right away. You know what I mean? That's not something you're ever going to see. No. Um, so I thought it was it, it was a nice parody kind of commentary on how these over bloated franchises kind of lose their way. And I think it's funny because we're getting close to seven now we're, we're approaching scream six now you know and right. coming up so it's kind of interesting most definitely and plus it's been a decade since like yeah. you mentioned so therefore of course they wouldn't start off with like a screen four or like a stab yeah. four or screen or stab five they would go on ahead and go with all the other franchises within that decade yeah i mean they oh. they obviously pumped out a lot because like it's been 10 years since the events of scream three and they've pumped out five movies like they 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 did a new scream three because obviously they didn't finish the scream or the stab three that they were filming in right. scream three. So, but they did. They made a new one based on those events and then four more films also within those 10 years. So like they were just churning them out 
within that world, which I thought was exactly. And you know, that's what I liked about this though too is how much Wes Craven was in tune with the different styles of genres when it comes down to uh, horror movies because horror movies have changed since the last Scream movie, and we've gotten uh, we actually ended up having like a bunch of Saw movies and reboots, and they also mentioned reboots and also remakes within the horror genre itself. So that's something I really liked about that was how self aware. Wes Craven was, even though it's been a decade, he was still in tune within that decade to be able to try and do something that's different. Yeah. Whether or not people will pull on it or not, that's another story. But I do give him credit for the creativity that he tried to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And you could tell he leaned a little bit, you know, into that with, you know, upping the like the gore factor and that kind of stuff. Like at one point we see. A, somebody gutted in their intestines hanging out which is not something we'd seen really before you know in these movies so i think that's far other than the like the the first scene of the first movie outside of that they they didn't no. really do that you know so i thought that was really kind of a nice way to tap into the the type of horror that was going on at that time and to and they 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 talk about it in the movie itself or they're like you know you, you got to you got to up the the gore level you know, up the ante the on it. Yeah, right. so I, I, I like that. I like how they also mentioned uh, like the uh, the Saw movies and the Hostel movies as like torture porn, which I've heard yeah. everybody mention how that could actually be condensed into like torture porn. So, yeah. you know, I understand where they're coming from. But for us, it just feels like as like Jigsaw himself or solving these pieces to actually get to the final movie. That's actually how I felt about it. But some people actually felt like it was actually torture porn. Yeah. And so that's actually a direct quote that other viewers would actually see those kind of movies. So I definitely liked how Wes used that. Yeah. Play around with. Yeah. Uh, but another thing I liked was the tech that they decided to use during that time of 2011, because this is actually the start of the iPhone. And also too, this was also the start of Twitter basically. And also mm-hmm. too. Uh, Facebook and how popular Facebook was yeah. getting, how popular Twitter was getting, because they mentioned those two social networks. Yes, yeah. yeah, social media yeah. was uh, was really starting to boom, you know, in that time frame. Like I looked some stuff up because uh, this whole the whole thing it kind of centers around what I I put in my notes as millennials wanting to become famous. You know, which you know I'm a millennial, so you know it, right. it is what it is to talk about it. But that was a thing, you know, the whole YouTube culture that started back then really kind of ramping. And like, I was looking some stuff up and like vine came out like two years later, you know, after this movie and, and like that escalated that kind of fame that they were seeking in this movie. So I, I thought that was really, yeah, they, I think it was a really smart route to go because it, it was really indicative of what was going on at that time. Definitely. And it makes it even more concrete because of the fact that technology is changing. They don't have mm-hmm. the same things that we had back in the early 90s whenever we first was introduced into the screen world with the caller ID and the dial-up internet and stuff like that. That stuff is yeah. gone. So they ha- so Wes has to think of another creative way of actually doing it and keep within the times so that way you can actually introduce new technology and new ways of thinking and draw in the new crowd while also trying to please the old school crowd that we are and drag, drag us into it. So that was a perfect balance of him trying to do something with it. And, you know, I also like the fact too, that it, like I said, it tries to capture the grudge. Okay. Here's another thing. Each thing actually feels like that he's copying off of each movie with each kill yeah as well and we'll get into that in a few minutes mm-hmm. but that was like a little thing i mixed in there because of the fact that he winds up closing yeah, I the noticed garage that. door i noticed yeah. that many times yeah where i was like oh yeah I, this is from that movie and this is from that movie yeah i, I noticed that a lot so that was something that i thought it was very interesting on how they would do that into like a copycat kind of killer who was yeah. found inspiration behind that so that was one thing that I liked about it was the technology, the birth of the iPhone, basically, where people were starting to use iPhones in different apps because they even mentioned apps, though, too, in this movie. Yep. Yeah. So it was a start of a new era, a new age at that yeah. point. Um, then I'll, but here's the thing, though. The opening credits for me pulled me out because it doesn't have that, you know how it always has a little spooky vibe kind of music to it? 
the red right hand was always one of my favorite parts of the theme song within Saw. Of oh, not Saw, but in Scream Four. Oh yeah. And that was oh, not in Scream, but in the universe of Scream, Scream was actually yeah. some of my favorite things. But the music that chose for this felt flat to me. It felt like very 2010s pop music culture kind of thing. Yeah. I'm like, like, okay, I really don't like the music. It pulls me out of it. Yeah, but- I I thought the same thing. As soon as that the opening music started, I was like, hmm, nah, this is not what I was hoping for. Because I honestly hadn't remembered that until I rewatched it again for this. And I was like, hmm, nah, they could have they went better. <laughs> Definitely, because I was thinking to myself, this actually feels like a teen comedy versus it being a, mo- a it horror movie. Felt slasher more, movie. It, the the entire opening almost felt like I was watching like scary movie instead like a of dream, you know, uh, just because like of how how incredibly meta it went. Like I I enjoy the opening, but it it's. It doesn't fit as well as the others from the other, you know, from the other three movies. You know, it, it didn't. It doesn't. To to use the pun, it doesn't scream scream. You know what I mean? Right. Just it didn't. But no. And then we also I have decided to do something different. Exactly. Then of course you wind up seeing this other thing play out after evidence is found and her and Rebecca Walters. Uh, are Sydney becomes a suspect in the murders and must stay in town until they are solved, which she writes a book and you can actually see the stuff, how much time has passed because Gail is actually having writer's block. And while Gail's having writer's block, Sydney is actually going on a book tour, but doing a yeah. fantastic better job than what Gail is doing. This is about trying to show, Hey, look, step out of the darkness, stop hiding from your true self. Versus Gail, who is trying to make money off of Sydney's life yeah. and the murders around her. And that's where Gail is actually having the trouble with because there's no more murder. So therefore, she can't really write anything. So therefore, she has to try and think of something to come off of. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, Gail, she her whole existence is within the murders you know it's it's, it's, unfortunately for her that's how it goes and that's how it goes for a lot of journalists really you know if if there's not a story going you know a big story then they they don't have anything anything to to latch on to so it's unfortunately for her yeah that is kind of how that goes then once that winds up happening we are we go on ahead we see that the town is actually decorating and well, not decorating, but these pranks are going on within the town because it's been a decade and it's the anniversary of what happened within the very first screen movie. And you see Dewey, and then you see his new partner, which Yeah. I want to talk about Dewey real quick. Okay. They don't ever I don't unless I missed it, but I'm pretty sure they don't ever mention it. He has absolutely no limp whatsoever now. No. Everything that I liked about the first three films being in continuity with each other is gone. He has yeah. no limp. Not even a hint of one. Just completely gone. Yeah. It's like I could just see him talking like Wes talking to uh, to David Arquette. Hey, look, everything that we did in the third one. Yeah. Don't do. What about the limp? Don't do that. What about the face that I make? Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. Just, and he's Wes. the sheriff now. Like He's back to actually <laughs> right. being a cop again. Like, yeah. Exactly, which I thought was hilarious though too, because now he's back to him to his formal Dewey self. Yeah, and he has that confidence which, now. Yeah, if you think yeah. about the whole what they're doing with this movie, they're they're essentially trying to create, uh, like remake this movie. You know, uh, the first movie, and yeah, in the first movie, Dewey was a cop. He didn't have a limp, so like that's kind of what they're doing here. Is okay, you know what I mean. So that actually does make sense now that you think about it because they do mention remakes in this movie. And then yeah. basically it's basic, basically taking that and turning it and, and making this own film into like a remake, a reboot of its own self. It's it's like The Force Awakens. Think about it. You know, it's a very it's pretty much the same plot of the original film, but a little different. Right. Yeah. And we're going to get into this other thing, this other little detail that I really mm-hmm. liked, because Randy mentions it in a part two about how he would actually change an ending to a horror movie. Yeah. And I want to talk, talk about that and how Wes uses that into this movie, which I thought was smart. Cool. 
So another thing too is Sydney um that basically Dewey's theme song also feels out of place. Yeah. Because normally I like it because it has this western kind of feel to it, remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we this talked about actually, that in the last review, yeah. Right. And this one it just feels out of place with that. Yeah. With the theme of it. Yeah. Um, but Okay, so I want to talk about Dewey and the woman partner is very awkward and Deputy Judy. (laughs) She's got the hots for Dewey. (laughs) She reminds me of remember uh, Tiny Toons Adventures, the little the girl bunny that always had a. Yeah, she reminds me of her for some reason. Every time I see her, I'm automatically thinking of her or I'm thinking of Zootopia. Every single every single oh. time I'm thinking of her as a rabbit. Nice. Okay, so I, I don't know that. why. Yeah, sure, I can see that. <laughs> but you know, I just this over sexualization, this awkwardness about her, it's yeah. like very awkward because she gives him chocolates and then she's wearing this tight uh, sheriff's outfit that looks like it belongs in a Halloween shop. Yeah, and I'm like. Girl, he's not even interested in you. He's no. with Gail. She, yeah, he's he's been married for a decade, and like, she is the same age as Sydney, because she mentions that her and Sydney went to high school together. Exactly, and which then, we obviously never saw her in the first movie, but she was apparently there somewhere, <laughs> probably in the background somewhere. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. But the thing that I thought that was actually even funnier was this. Okay, so you make him these heart-shaped cupcakes, which implies and insinuates that she wants to get with him. Then all of a sudden, he takes it and puts it inside the car, and then she just randomly asks, "How's Gail doing?" Yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I think she's fishing for information there. I think she's hoping. That he's gonna let on that they're having issues or something, some that where she can just kind of sl- slide right in there. I think that's what they were going for, but that maybe that could just be me reading into it. I don't know. I understand. For me, it just felt like really awkward. And yeah, like, it was okay. absolutely awkward. Yeah. So you want to have an affair with him, but you, and then you're gonna ask him about how his wife is doing. It's mm-hmm. like very messy on that part. Yeah, but it also goes to show you how messy sequel, um, remakes actually are. Yeah, so it's true. So that might actually be something that Wes is actually trying to do too. But there's also this other thing too: the connection to this movie uh, to Cindy's cousins feels like the survival horror movie from Final Destination. Okay, yeah, because they also talk about survive uh, survival horror. Yeah, too. So I feel a little bit of. Um, Final Destination a little bit whenever the killer's calling her and they're in the car and stuff like that. I felt yeah. a little bit of Final Destination a little bit. Okay. I don't know about like you, that. though. I mean, that hadn't crossed my mind, but I can see that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then, of course, we're going to get into this, the book reading and stuff like that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, that night, Olivia is killed by Ghostface and Jill and Kirby watched in horror from across the street. Sydney herself then confronted by Ghostface and they fight and Ghostface forces to flee when Perkins and Hoss arrive. Yeah. Okay. I, w- I want to talk a little bit about this scene. Okay. So Ghostface gets booted in the face, right? You know, we've watched the movie. So we know who the killer is. We know which one that was. We see him like the next scene and he's fine. Like he didn't just literally get punted in the face. (laughs) (laughs) No mark, no nothing. He's, he's totally good. I was like, "Mm, I don't know. I, I don't, I feel like that's not super believable. Maybe she just didn't kick him as hard as it seemed, but I don't know. It just felt like he, she were. kicked him a lot harder, though, to me, in my opinion. It yeah, it seemed that way. So, but he but totally also, fine. too, I do like how they played this off, though. It was like, open the closet door. And she's like, what do you mean, open the closet door? Yeah. And then she, she opens it. He goes, who said I was in that closet door? And then it's revealed that he's actually in the house next door. So I definitely like how they played off that. I thought yeah. that worked. Yeah, I thought that was really a really smart uh, kind of way to, to do that, to kind of trick the audience into wondering, is he there? And then put him in a position where he can 
do a kill and they can't stop it. Exactly. Yeah. And then you also have, well, this is also another thing I wanted to bring up too. Jill, which is Sydney's cousin is also coping with the, uh, with her ex-boyfriend Trevor. And then of course, that's also too, when Sheldon gets a threatening phone call from Ghostface as, as her friends, Olivia Morris. Yeah. and, And they do, you know, they recreate stuff with Trevor that they did with, with Billy, with the climbing through the window and, and all that stuff, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and, you know, going back to the, to the, the girl across the, 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 the you know, the way who get who gets killed. I think that's the goriest kill of this entire movie. It's wild. That like when I was talking before about how they upped the, the gore factor in this movie, seeing her, just got spilled out on the bed, literally wall covered in blood. Something that we hadn't seen really in the previous three movies and re rewatching this took me by surprise because I'd forgotten about how gory that scene was. I was like, all right, they're really doing something, trying something a little different here. And I like that. Right. And it seemed like this, uh, this version of ghost face is a lot different and when we got in the first three ghost faces, because we've never seen that before, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But I do like the fact that, you know, you actually get to see the fact that, you know, they're trying something new and the person has got it out and you see the intestines on the bed and you see the blood splatter. Of course, I haven't seen this movie since I last saw this in 2011. Oh, but when wow. I saw this again, I'm like, wow. I said, I forgot about this. Yeah. Because this is actually pretty good stuff right here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and to see that in a screen movie, I, I really liked it. I liked seeing something that was new. Also, too, it also shows you this is actually a new ghost face. This is not the same ones that we've been dealing with before. This yeah. is one that's after a message and trying to send a message. And I'm pretty sure the majority of the kills are uh, uh, what's his name? I never remember his name now. Charlie. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I don't think Jill does much at all as far as killing. I was thinking that myself. I'm like, there's no way that she does any of it other than maybe throwing the other girl out of the window. That would be the only thing that I could think that she would be able to do. Yeah. Is pushing the girl out the window. Yeah. Because that would be something that a girl, because girls don't normally fight with their fists unless, you know, but... You know, I would think that she would just push her out the window because of how much the person weighs. Yeah, I could see that. That's how I'm thinking, but I could be yeah. wrong. Um, so anyways, this is what happens too. Dewey's wife is struggling with writer's block. We mentioned that and decides to investigate the murders against her husband's wish- wishes like she now always does. Sydney stays over with Jill and her mother, Sydney's aunt Kate, that night. Olivia is killed by Ghostface, like we mentioned. And so it goes over to this other part where at the hospital, Sydney fires Rebecca after learning of her desires to exploit the murders and increase book sales. She's she was a terrible person the entire time. Like, I, I, I love Alison Brie as an actor, but I hated her character in this movie. Her character was horrible. And yeah. also, too, she was just trying to gain popularity because of the fact that she's handling a book for yeah. Sydney. Had no idea what the book entails mm-hmm. or anything like that. And you're supposed to be her publicist. And, she, and how do you know? She was right. happy that murders happened while they were there. Like, that's that's sick, man. Like, that, that's that's messed up on her part. I would put her at the same level as Ghostface at that point in time. Because yeah, like... <laughs> Absolutely. I could have, she could have, she could have been the killer. I could, I could have believed that. Absolutely. Right. Because I'm like, wait, you're happy. You haven't read the book. How do you know this book is even good in the first place and everything? All you care is about is marketing and getting your half of what the sales of what Sydney draws in. Mm -hmm. And I like how, you know, Sydney's at the book doing her um, book review and stuff like that, reading and, then you see Dewey walk in. Then you see Gail walk in, but she's fir- but first Gail walks in and she says she gives Gail a hug. And for once, they're not fighting at each other or anything. Yeah. They actually hug each other. Yeah. But you can tell that she misses the light. You can tell Gail misses that, mm-hmm. like being in the spotlight. 
Yep. But all, while also trying to be happy for um, Sydney as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then Dewey walks in and he says, look, right now we have to lock this thing down. Everybody's yeah. a suspect and we need to see what's going on. They call up the phone and then that's when they find out that there's actually um, some pictures of Sydney in the back of the trunk of a car. Yeah. Oh, bloody. There's like a knife. I think there was a mask back there. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, the public's like, okay, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just move. We'll just go to another state, another town. Doesn't even phase her. Yeah. No. So then at, this is also another thing I want to mention. At the at the hospital, Sydney fires Rebecca after learning her, of her desire to exploit the murders to increase her book sales. And Rebecca is supposedly murdered by Ghostface at a parking yeah. garage. Now, this is the yes moment that goes on in a horror movie where the douchebag deserves to die. Yep. I'm like, yes, girl, you deserve to die. You were (laughs) trying to make profit off of somebody else's life and not knowing what that book is. And I'm thinking to myself, how do you know this book is even good? You're you're getting Sydney to promote it. This movie could, this book could actually be bad. Yeah. And you're promoting it and you're acting like these murders are okay. So that way Sydney can be in the spotlight while also trying to feed your um, basically just trying to feed your, uh, praise basically. Yeah. 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 I was, I was definitely not upset that, uh, when she died. Same. And then Gil enlists the help of two high school movie, uh, fanatics, Charlie Walker and Robbie Mercer. Yep. And before we get over to that though, um, the way that the publicist actually dies, she gets pushed over the, off the roof and then lands on top yeah. of the um, news van, which is yeah. like, kind of ironic because of the fact that's the same news van that Gail would actually have been using because it's actually the same name that she used yeah. from from back in the nineties. Yeah, people seem to seem to die around her news vans. You know, <laughs> I mean, her camera guy. You know, right? The, the first one, yeah. <laughs> Randy in the second one. You know, in the van. So right. And then maybe she should stop having a news van. I think that'd be a great (laughs) idea. I think that's why she decided to go with writing, which is actually a better choice. But uh, Charlie Walker and Robbie Mercer, they're two horror fans. This is actually where you get into the stylization of found footage movies and also the craze of the found footage movies and live streaming for the very first time because of the fact that this is actually introducing into live streaming and to YouTube and representing who we are as fans of horror and movies. Yeah. So what do you think about the introduction of those characters? I like them because they're like the Randy of the, I mean, realistically, Robbie and Charlie are the Randy and Stu of, of this movie um, in more ways than one. And even though I would have loved another cameo from Jamie Kennedy, it would have been, you know, I would, I'll always take that in a screen movie. I don't care. Same. Um, it was still nice to have characters who were going over rules the way Randy would. It, it brought that back. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and I, I like the introduction of, of the, the live streaming tech simply because it felt like stuff because like in 2011, you know, I was, let's see, how old was I? Uh, 27, 26, 27 at that time. And so, like, I've, obviously, I'm a little older than they are, but I understood all of that stuff. You know, like, I was cl- much closer in age to them than I would have been in when the first movie came out because I was 12 when that movie came out. Right. Uh, so, uh, I I be I was much more Into, inundated with with that kind of technology, and it it felt familiar, and it felt I was comfortable with it. It didn't feel awkward for me to to see that. It just it felt like a natural progression. Same here. It shows you the new level of of actually watching horror movies, explain the yeah. rules and stuff in a new way. It wasn't forced, and that's something that I really liked about it was how they were explaining rules in this way of this new generation that's coming up, watching horror movies, found footage movies, survival movies, different genres, and explaining it and breaking it down to Gale. And that's something I really enjoyed, and I was 26 when this movie came out. 
So it was very reminiscent to me watching myself as if I was one of the characters on the screen and trying to break it down to Gale. So yeah. that's what I saw myself in was those char- those characters was because of the fact that if I had a film school in, uh, in high school, that's where I would be at. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would so, have loved to have had something like that in high school. Same here. That would be awesome. But yeah. I would like to know the permission slips that you would actually have to get for rated R movies. Because, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't believe this school actually allows Dab to be on a poster in your high school, knowing, yeah. number one, Sydney went to the same high school. So yeah. you're doing promoting for this movie and that girl went to the high, same high school. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. So I'm like, who's the principal here? We don't even have a principal at the school. Well, or it's definitely not Henry Winkler. <laughs> nope, definitely not. But, you know, I just thought it was a great moment, though, to just see new characters doing this. And then Charlie theorizes that the killer is following the rules of horror remakes. And Gail and Sydney conclude the killer will likely strike the Stabathon, a screening party held in a barn where teenagers gathered to, to binge, watch all movies and stab franchise gill sneaks into the party and to investigate yeah this felt reminiscent to the opening of scream 2 you know the or scream movie. 1 2 because yeah. of the fact, that's where yeah. i got i got scream 1 vibes from this but go on i'm sorry uh, i was just it made me think of that opening sequence and then in the movie theater when they were watching stab people oh. were you know going crazy about it Okay. Um, so that's, I don't know if they were pulling from that at all. That's just what, where my mind went when I watched. That's it. where my mind went though, too. Now that you mentioned it, because I did mean, okay. So this is where scream one comes into place for me. The webcams that she's setting up new technology with webcams and stuff and doing that and wireless doing things wirelessly versus doing how you were doing it back in the nineties. And that was actually something that I thought that was really cool how they updated that. But you're right though. It is very reminiscent to the second one because number one, Gail has a scream mask on with a leather jacket, which is the same leather jacket that Common had used in the second one. And then what you do is not Common, but uh, I forgot Omar Epps. Omar Epps. Thank right? you for correcting me on that. I couldn't remember the actor, but uh, Omar Epps, Epps's character gets killed, and then you see the blood on the leather jacket when Jada, Jada Pickett Smith actually mm-hmm. figures it out. And I like how she goes up to the screen, hides her camera, and then everybody's booing at her, just like how they booed at Jada for going up to the screen. And then she flips them off and then goes on hand and walks off. Yep. <laughs> and at yeah. first, I thought it was actually the teenage girl who wanted to be like Gail that was doing that. Yeah, that's what I thought at first, too. Yeah. But then I'm like, that looks like Gail. That looks yeah. like her walk. I'm like, no, that's not her. Yeah. So it was more fitting for her for to be Gale to do that. Mm. But I thought the barnyard stuff actually works. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I really enjoy um the, the you know when Gail goes up into the hayloft and she's setting up these cameras and and you know she goes back to the car and everything and, and slowly one by one the, the killer is is disabling these cameras. I thought that was really really cool. And then when she goes back up there and we have the fight and everything, I thought it worked really well. Um, Cause you weren't sure what exactly was going to happen. She discovers that camera and everything. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, we get some found footage type stuff where Dewey is watching the, and, and we're seeing behind her. Cause she's holding that camera uh, facing behind her. And we see Ghostface just charge at her and, in that moment, Dewey is us, you know, watching, he's watching the movie essentially, you know, and I thought that was really, it worked really well for me. Yeah. It worked. That part worked out really well for me as well too, because, you know, he's telling her, look out behind you. Of yeah. course, he's Joe's yelling at there. the screen. She can't hear him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we do as an audience. Right. So yeah. I definitely like how they treated Dewey as like one of us screaming at the screen. I like that. And then it goes into this other thing, though, too, Josh, where, you know, remember when Ghostface is over there changing out the camera, blocking the camera, mm-hmm. and then she has to go over there to investigate it. So that's why she's down there in the first place. And then, you know, she knows he's there. Yeah. And then that's when she winds up calling Dewey. Hey, look, Ghostface is over here at the barn. You guys need to go on ahead. Come down here. 
Yeah. And then that's when she winds up when Dewey winds up seeing her on the found footage thing and telling her to look behind her. So I thought that was actually, like you said, as it was very fitting and definitely worked. Yeah, absolutely. Then after that winds up happening, we actually have basically a screener. Um oh, also, you know, real quick, yeah. uh, before we get away from that, uh something I don't think I ever noticed while watching this movie, the first stab movie. It's apparently a Robert Rodriguez movie. Like, because it, yeah, on the screen it's like stab, and it's like a Robert Rodriguez film. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, that's kind of awesome. Never got that before. I never did either. That's actually yeah. pretty interesting because I'm like, oh, I might actually have to watch a Robert R- R- Rodriguez movie. I would actually watch that, right? Just to <laughs> see what, what it would look like. Yeah. They actually need to make a special edition of and make it for the audience as a stab. I would uh, collector's that, edition that with, awesome. directed by Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. That's what I would it, like. It to could see. be a short film for all I care. I think it would be awesome just to see something. I think so too. Like for the anniversary of screen four have that. Yeah. By the way, guys, I want his paycheck signed by jo- for Josh and I for that idea. So you know, go on ahead and do that. I yep. do appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, goes fast, uh, goes fast. Okay. Um, <laughs> Jill, Kirby, Charlie, Robbie, and Trevor are at an, an after party at Kirby's house when Ghostface strikes, killing a drunken Robbie. Now, yeah. another thing that winds up happening here, though, too, everything is settled yeah. down. Nobody's really having a party at all. They're just basically going to have a stab marathon over there because of the fact that the sta- stab, uh, stab mar- marathon actually got canceled because they shut down everything because of the people getting murdered and stuff. So they go on ahead, they go to this after party. And I definitely like how this is actually going because then you actually get Trevor, Trevor winds up coming in there and then you have this conversation with Charlie and the, and his crush that he likes and stuff like that. So I definitely like that. Yeah. And she's also a crazy horror fan though, too. So that's something that I really liked was the common interest that they both have. Yeah. Yeah. I like, uh, I like Kirby as a character. First mm-hmm. off, um, I really do, and I'm glad she's coming back in the new one. I hope they explain because they don't tell us one like they don't actually ever mention that she survived until that until we you know we get to, we see the trailers for the new movie and she's in it. And so I hope that uh, they give us a little bit more about that when we see that one. But I find it interesting how she's super willing to be flirty and and do stuff but apparently never was before i don't know um i'm curious as to why suddenly because he's obviously been into her for a while and i feel like the way he way charlie kind of operates he probably didn't keep it a secret all that time no because remember he's like really awkward yeah. And he stands out, and then mm-hmm. when she winds up, when you wind up finding out that she has a thing for him, mm-hmm. and he's shocked over it. Yeah, and she seems like a very like, like straightforward kind of person. Like she's gonna say what she wants to say. She's gonna do what she wants to do. So if she liked him, why didn't she act on that in the first place? I think she was okay. This is me in high school. I'm the awkward guy in yeah. high school. That I'm not catching on to the signals that someone's into you. Oh, okay. So you think maybe she was, he just wasn't catching. And it just went over his head the whole time. Okay. I can buy that. Yeah, I can buy that. That's what I'm thinking because things are like this. I'm lanky. I'm awkward. I'm into this film stuff. Nobody's really buying into this whole entire horror thing at all. And here's this random girl that that I'm into, but I'm too shy to even say anything. And then this random girl that's into the same stuff that I'm into is blunt. She's honest. She wants to make a move. She makes a move. And then it goes over to the person's head. Okay. I could totally see that. So yeah, I could, I can buy that. So that's what I was actually sold into was the fact that, because remember she goes, he goes, well, if you're into me, make a move. I just did. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's true. Yeah. She, she does. Yeah. He is kind of oblivious when it comes to that. So. <laughs> So then, you know, she's into trivia with the stab movies and horror movies and things like that. Yeah. So I thought that was really fascinating. And then, you know, 
then we get into this other thing where basically wasn't it Trevor that goes in and pretty much cop locks them? Yeah, he just shows up. Yeah. And she goes, what are you doing here? I I was told by Sydney's cousin to come down here because she was uh, because her mom was on her butt all the time. Yeah. But you also have another thing that too with the two cops that are looking out for Sydney as well. You have Anthony Anderson in this movie. That's yeah, like Anthony Anderson and uh, Adam Brody as the cops. Yeah. yeah. So I, I thought that was interesting that they have those two in this movie and then they're watching the house. And then I like how mm-hmm. they go off the rules of survival as well. Yeah. Where Adam Brody turns around and says to Anthony Anderson, I'll be right back. You <laughs> 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 goes, well, shit. <laughs> yep. I got to say the way Anthony Anderson dies in this movie, dude, like, I don't think they've done a kill quite like that. No. It's a right to the forehead, and he's still alive for a short period of time after. I was like, I thought that was pretty, pretty intense. I really enjoyed that. Me too. And Anthony is still over there trying to swing, and he's not yep. swinging at anything but air. So I thought that was fairly cool. Yeah. And then you wind up finding out that, you know, maybe Sydney's cousin is actually in trouble. So that actually sets Sydney off to where she needs to go on ahead and go over to where she's at at this after party. But yeah. before that happens, she gets intervened with Ghostface, gets that confrontation with him. And then the aunt gets stabbed through the mail slot. Yeah. And I'm like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm over there doing, this is me just doing this whole entire analogy of like, how would that work? Like, I mean, he knew that she was, well, actually, I don't, I'm pretty sure that was Jill first off. Mm-hmm. So, because, because Charlie was at the after party. Right. Okay. Um, and so Sydney specifically says, get down and brace the door. She probably heard that and knew she was down on the ground. So when the door closes, she's probably like perfect opportunity. Boom. Cause I forgot that the mail slot was there. I thought she that she was just, it was just going to go through the door. Me too. Like That's what, what I happened in in Scream Two uh, mm-hmm. in the bathroom scene. I thought it was going to be like that, but then I, when it was revealed, I was like, "Oh yeah, it's the mail slot." I was like, "Okay, guess that works." Sure, uh, it was convenient. <laughs> uh, I you know I'll say, but because uh, if she had been any higher off to the side at all, it wouldn't have worked, obviously. But yeah, I think it, I think it worked for me, and it 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 was believable enough because she would have known that her mom was down there because Sydney said it pretty loudly, right? Yeah, and so this is actually the turning point now where we actually have, you know, Sydney is confronted by Charlie in a second go face revealing herself as Jill. Yeah. It missed to um, masterminding the murders of jealousy from the fame that Sydney received for surviving the precious killing, um, previous killing sprees and desires to achieve fame as a prasad victim of the murders, intending to frame Trevor as Ghostface. Joe kills Trevor and betrays Charlie because Charlie's actually involved in this too. And there's yeah. also this other thing. You gotta have Harvey. a Billy and a stew, you know? Right. And then also, too, you also have this other thing that winds up happening where Kirby winds up getting killed by Charlie because we're going to get because killed. This, <laughs> because it's something that I really thought was smart, though. They do a callback to Scream 1 where the football players basically tied up yeah. and duct taped. Yeah, Drew Barrymore's boyfriend in the, right. in the opener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So therefore, you get Charlie, and she's also getting quizzed, just like how Drew Barrymore's mm-hmm. character is. And she's naming off all these other movies. She goes, yes, I beat his ass. I did it. I did it. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, Charlie winds up stabbing her. And he goes, yeah. He goes, all this time, you were into me, and you didn't say anything to me? Yeah. Like, it's too late. And he just takes her out. He does. Her and out. then <laughs> he also has a thing for Sydney's cousin, though, too, Jill. Yeah. And they actually kiss. And I'm like, okay, I know what you're doing, Wes. Mm-hmm. 
In the second movie, Randy winds up saying, if someone asked him in the class, if you were to make your own horror movie, what would you do? He goes on ahead. He says, I would make the geek get the girl. Yeah. And this is exactly what Wes does. He makes Mm -hmm. it seem like the geek is going to get the girl, which is Kirby. But in turn, it's going to be Jill instead. Yeah. But it costs him. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry, but if I was around that age, I would be going after Kirby, not after Jill. She just looks a little bit better to me. But, you know. I mean, agreed. Yeah. (laughs) Kirby's more my style. Yeah. Mine too. (laughs) But uh, so anyways, Jill kills uh, Trevor and betrays Charlie. And the way they do this is also the same way with the father, because the father, they pull yes. the father out of the closet. The closet yeah. And then because oh, they because they 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 reference that, too, because, right. you know, uh, she says to Sydney, she's like, does this seem familiar when they pull him out? You know, does this from- look familiar to you, Sid? Uh, so I thought that was cool. Like, cause they're really legitimately make remaking this movie within the movie. You know, it was very meta in meta, like we talked about at the beginning. Right. So, and they did that throughout the whole thing, which I really liked. Which is basically now, if you think about it, just foreshadowing the introduction into what we're getting into. Basically, Wes is actually already telling you what this film is. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. So now that I'm thinking about it, I missed the mark on the second time of viewing this and realizing now what when I'm watching. Yeah. So... But she winds up taking him out of the uh, closet. He, she, and, but this time, he, this person does not survive. She shoots him in the crotch. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I like am this. not the girl you cheat on. <laughs> so I'm thinking like this. If I was a cop. Yeah. I'm like, why would Sydney, if you're trying to frame her, why would she shoot at the 18-year-old kid in the crotch? <laughs> Oh man! Uh, and then I, I would, the I would have like liked for to have, I would have liked to have heard that explanation talked about. Me too. Yeah, you know. and the, and the, I would like to see them going through the reports. He goes, "Okay, these kids. Okay, I give them credit. They, they tried doing a remake and trying to recreate everything that Sydney went to. But why the hell would she go ahead and shoot him in the this kid in the crotch whenever he's his, twice his age?" Yeah, <laughs> that would be called the crime of passion. Yeah, <laughs> and then also too, if forensics would actually know for a fact too that he was duct tape. Yeah, so there was like a lot of things that I was actually I'm going through Dexter. No, if you, yeah, if you think about it though, someone like like Jill, well, teenagers probably not thinking about the forensics portion of what of it, the after forensics part of it, you know. Right, she's not thinking about that. She's thinking of the here and now, the fame, and yeah. also too, she's also a teenager, so of course she's not going to think about stuff like that. Yeah. So she's not thinking of the after effects, like you said, because she's a teenager. She's going to think impulsively. Versus, yeah, she, she thinks she's the smartest person in the room, and is is just going to get away with it. Like she's confident right. that she's just going to get away with it, no matter what. Yeah. And uh, then she winds up beating the hell out of herself. Tearing her hair Dude, out. Her, that was- Jill's commitment in this scene, it was incredible. She was I so badass it. in this, though. Yeah. Like She was committed to actually getting away yeah. with it. Yeah. Her triple oh, homicide, yeah. basically. Yeah, like using Trevor's hand to scratch her face, and she stabs it's- herself, <laughs> smashes herself into a, into a picture, puts herself through a table. It's <laughs> insane. Yeah. And then gets back up. Yeah. And then lays next to Sydney in perfect time for Dewey to come over there. Yeah. And he's like, oh my God, I don't know if Sydney's alive or anything. Come back over here. And then you then you see Jill. She's turned face up at that point. And then she goes, gets escorted out through the hospital, Mm. to the hospital on a stretcher. And then you see all the lights and the glamour and stuff like that. This girl's Jill exactly survived. what she wanted. You right. know, she wants the fame. She's she's finally getting it. So I thought that was actually pretty funny because of the fact she's thinking that she's getting away with it. Then you go into the hospital where she's at and she's, she thinks that Sydney's dead. And then Dewey winds up saying, well, I have some good news. Sydney is alive. They don't in critical condition. They don't know the condition that she's in or anything. She yeah. may not even make it. She may not even remember anything. She goes, wait, Sydney's alive. 
Yeah. And you would think Dewey would be like, uh, red flag, Dewey. Uh, you're t- he didn't even catch <laughs> the fact that she knew about Gail's wound when no one else did. Right. You know? <laughs> he didn't catch that until Gail points it out. Right. She goes, wait, yeah. nobody knew about that wound other yeah, than the person that had yeah. stabbed me. How did she know about that? He's like, <gasps> then he takes <laughs> off. Yeah. Then he calls Officer Bunny on the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on the uh on the two-way yeah and then you get this confrontation of when she goes up where jill goes into you know cindy's room and she goes you get all the glory you get all of this and what does that leave me all i hear is sending this sending that poor sydney yep marsha 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 <laughs> <laughs> Then she winds up trying to go ahead and choke her. And then also, too, she yeah. when she's I'm like, oh, my God, this girl is going all in still. Yeah. OK, so this whole sequence. OK, I had a problem with this this entire hospital sequence. Me too. <laughs> Sydney is supposed to be in the ICU, right? They specifically right. say Dewey specifically says that. Yet Jill gets up. She's obviously not that far from where the ICU is, first off. She wanders through these dark halls. She gets in there, and they have a legit fight, you know, screaming, smashing things, glass shattering, right? You know, there's two gunshots that go off within that scene because uh, uh, Officer Judy there gets shot, and then Jill gets shot. Yet not a single doctor or nurse shows up. No. Where is everybody? We saw one nurse walking, you know. She was getting off her shift. You know? <laughs> but if this is the ICU. Right. Where people are in critical condition. Where is the staff? That's I had, what that, I wanted to I know. I the biggest problem with that because not a single person shows up after all of that noise. You know what? That also bothered me, though, too. Because especially when she takes off the the uh, pulse reader yeah. and everything else monitoring. And I'm like, wait, where is the staff on that? Mm-hmm. I get what you're going for Wes, but. And then again, when, you know, Cindy gets launched out of the bed, her stuff gets ripped off. Right. Where's, you know, right. where's the, uh, the nurses coming in being like, something's wrong. Right. And also too, I'm, uh, and also another thing that I want to mention is this. Okay. So you had that happening. And like you mentioned, there's no other patient around. It's supposed to be the ICU unit. So you're thinking that there's going to be several patients. This is a huge hospital. I know it's a small town, but this is a huge hospital for a small town. Mm -hmm. And there's nobody around. Yeah. And then Dewey gets hit upside the head with a steel. uh, That thing thing should have been plastic. Oh, the uh, the bedpan? Yeah, the bedpan. He gets slapped upside the head with that. Like looks in like a 1970s uh, bedpan. (laughs) But she hits him about two times with that. And nobody hears anything about that. And then, like you mentioned, this is is already after her and uh, Jill in Sydney smashed into the glass cabinet and, and broke that apart. Like, you tell like nobody's hearing glass shattering, like none of that. You know, she's punching Sydney in the stomach and stuff where she, she got stabbed and she's screaming. Right. Like, where is everybody? And not, but hold on. It gets even better, though, because oxygen, you need a flame in order to make something explode. Yeah. What? Okay. So you mean to tell me there's no oxygen anywhere in this building? And with these guns going on? Yeah, they're popping off rounds <laughs> willy-nilly. Like, it could just, anything could happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that happens. And then finally, we wind up seeing uh, basically Dewey and the police arrive as Sydney and Jill are taken to the ho- Okay, we got to that. That's my note. Sorry. Um, having been clued into the fact that Jill's about Jill subdues Joey and Hicks and holds Gail at gunpoint. But Sydney... Uh, and catapates her with a defibrillator. <laughs> oh, I love that. Like, I love that. Now, that's, that's my favorite part. The shot to me was just epic. <laughs> the one liner that Gail uses is clear. Yeah. Just like clear, clear. Boom. Yep. 
and she just fries her man i loved it <laughs> that's actually one of my favorite parts in this though too the one-liner with that that worked for me and then she goes on then she she's i'm thinking that she's gonna stab her because oh, she yeah. because she reaches for the glass but then she finds out finding the gun on the floor and goes you know they always come back well no just, that was jill who reaches for the glass Okay, I thought it was Sydney for a minute. Yeah, it was, no, the scenes look kind of the way it was yeah, edited. I get that. Okay, but so Sydney goes on ahead, grabs the gun, shoots her in the chest, and yeah. calls it a day. Which bothered me because all three movies, the first three movies, you shoot them in the head. Right. They get up, you shoot them in the head. That's the only way you know for sure that they're dead. And that and was something didn't I think. Well, that's also another thing, though, to man. Like, okay, I understand you have the bulletproof vest for the girl that's actually the sheriff, but you would think because of the fact that this girl was into all these stab movies, that she would at least have a bulletproof vest on. You'd think, but but she was in the hospital. Even if even True. if she did have that on, which there I don't think she would have, because then there would have been questions. Right? You know yeah, I mean? you're right. She she. I mean, it's possible she had one on at some other point, but. Um, at this yeah, point. I, she wouldn't have had it on at this point because as far as she knew, she was done and in the clear. Right. Yeah. That's true, too. And so her guard is actually down a lot lower, though, too. Yeah. So, yeah, that does make sense. And, of course, being in the hospital and then they see a blueprint vest, what was that for? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, Susan. Fa- um, fashion choice. <laughs> you guys are totally understaffed here yeah you're run, not even running a skeleton crew here but you're going to question me about my bulletproof vest right look karen go on ahead maybe some coffee because you're the only one here i'm gonna lay in bed take my fame right <laughs> but yeah um then you also have the news reporters each news reporter was actually showing that jill was actually the person that was involved with yeah. it only one person out of that whole entire bunch was like a representation of jill of gail yeah glamoring over the Jill giving her the fame. Yeah. So, I, I like the way they went down the line, like progressing the news story, essentially, you know, like they're all reporting essentially the same thing, but each person is giving you a little bit more uh, of, of what they're reporting on. I thought that was kind of a, a cool way to do that. Definitely. But yeah, mm-hmm. this movie was now that I'm actually going back and us reviewing it. It's not as bad as I remember it now. There was aspects that I liked about it. There was some aspects I did didn't work. Yeah. It still lands in the lower tier for me, but it's not as bad as I could. I went into actually watching it and then now reviewing it. And then you mentioning a few things and actually changed my mind a little bit on how I actually perceived it. Yeah, no, I get that. Uh, I'm still, I'm a big fan of this one. Uh, I, I always have been. This is uh, my third in the franchise my this is my third highest in the franchise um it's above two and three for me uh yeah i i've always i've always really liked this one and even rewatching it it still it still stays there for me definitely so i enjoyed the first now we are actually going to be going in with screen five so that's going to be the next one that we're going to be doing we get to see some returning characters like your favorite officer Judy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what though? It's been was so long since I've seen this movie. Yeah. And going into the last one, I didn't even realize I was even her. Oh yeah. And I've only seen it once. And I need to, and so this is gonna be a fun revisit for me as well, because I've only yeah. seen it since it came out in theaters. Nice. So Alrighty, so is there anything going on as far as your channel goes or anything like that that you would like for other people to know about or where they can um, follow you at? Right now, I'm uh, doing How I Met Your Mother reviews uh, on our, my show, Last uh, Last Call at McLaren's. You can catch that on the Merkley Movie Blog YouTube channel or on uh, podcast feeds, uh, which is just uh, Last Call at McLaren's. If you search that in your podcast feeds. Uh, and I produce the DC Comics News podcast as well. So if you're into DC stuff, you can head over there and check out what uh, what my crew over there is doing. Other than that, not a lot yet, but uh, I got some stuff coming. I got some stuff brewing. So keep okay. an eye out. Of course, every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, we're going to be doing our Last of Us reviews. So go on ahead and make sure you check out that after show where we have a full panel coming in. Matter of fact, my co-host Rossi and her guest is going to be coming in 
tomorrow night joining us over there. And so go on ahead, check that out. We have some other stuff coming on. We're doing our John Wick uh, rewatches for next month. So we're going to watch all those to get caught up for the next John Wick movie. So take a look at that whenever we drop them. And always until next time, guys. Bye-bye.